Hello my wonderful quiet rebels, this is Meike here and I have an important announcement for you which I'm going to be sharing before we dive into today's episode. So at the time of this recording we're about two weeks away before I close the doors for my sustainable visibility incubator and if it's your first time hearing about it this is my six month signature mentorship program which I only open once a year and in essence what it is it's for introverted highly sensitive and empathic leaders who are ready to become sustainably visible in order to expand their reach, grow their business, and make a deeper impact on their terms. So if you've been looking for a place to really discover why certain strategies haven't been quite working for you, and it's not because you haven't followed them to the T, but it's actually understanding what responses it's bringing up in you and therefore reflecting in your audience. So if you want to really find that approach which actually adapts and evolves with you because it honors the intersections of your identity and centralizes your need for safety, then this is the place for you. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can go to makeasign.com forward slash apply, which I'll also pop into the show notes for you as well. And on the invitation page, aka the sales page, you may just find a very familiar name in the testimonials as well. Hint, hint, today's guest. But anyhow, honestly, this is the program that I burst into existence because when visibility strategies kept saying you just got to keep putting yourself out there put yourself out there put yourself out there I it took me quite some time to actually acknowledge the reason why that felt so unsafe for me not uncomfortable but unsafe it's because I had to acknowledge the privilege that some folks have that I simply don't have access to because of various parts of my identity because being visible without a protection plan can actually make you feel extremely vulnerable and it can actually be an unsafe place for you to be. So that's why I wanted this program to be in existence because yes, we honour the strategies. First and foremost, we honour safety. And this is the kind of space that I wanted to create for those of us out there who are underestimated, underrepresented and really have something important to share with the world. But they need to share it from a place of consent and agency. In other words, from their terms. So if that's you, my lovely, I would love to see your application come through. Again, you can go to makeexam.com forward slash apply. And if you're listening to this episode beyond the time of the 9th of September, 2022, that same link will take you to the waitlist for the next iteration of this as well. But if you're hearing this when the doors are still open, and you feel cool to learn more about it, please do. So again, makeisand.com forward slash apply. That'll be in the show notes for you should you want to check that out. But thank you so much for listening to my important announcement. And now we can get back to the episode. Woohoo! You're listening to the Quiet Rebels podcast. The place to be to explore what it means to run an online business when you don't always align with the status quo. I'm your host, Meike Sang, the Sustainable Visibility Mentor, certified trauma-sensitive leadership coach and podcast guesting strategy trainer. And I'm here to remind you that contrary to what we're taught to believe, you don't always have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. Because if anything, we stand out and make an even deeper difference when we stand up for what we believe in and share who we're supporting along the way. So if you'd like to join me and my guests as we venture into these pretty nuanced conversations where we choose to find the meaning in the messy middles of our entrepreneurial journey, then let me welcome you into the quiet rebellion. Let's get started. Hello, my wonderful quiet rebels. I'm super, super excited for today's guest because this is someone who I got, you know, there are some people in your life where you just get along with instantly and you can't put a finger on why. And then much later on, you can just see so many interwoven threads. That describes Brie. So Brie, thank you so, so much for coming onto the podcast today and talking about something that I think a lot of us actually really want to get better at, but kind of kind of resistant to raising our hand for and that is about having more sustainable sales cycles in a way that is strategic and not sleazy i.e not embodying the sleazy salesman from friends for example <laughs> and we'll get into that later but free Weber everyone free Weber welcome welcome <laughs> thank you Mickey, so much for having me I think this will be a really uh, good conversation to get into some of these uh, tropes and stereotypes like the sleazy salesman that we have in mind 
Yes, for sure. But when you're telling me um, the kind of things you want to talk about, one thing that really caught my attention was things like, oh, thoughts on using a sales script or not. So I'm so excited to get into all of this goodness. But before we do, let's dial back a little bit and actually venture into your kind of journey. So what got you into this? What made you want to talk about this topic today? Well, for those who who don't already know me, my... um big kind of space that I have spent a lot of time in is the space of cold pitching. So um, I've developed my own process for ethical cold pitching, which is about taking a very tailored, very hyper individualistic approach to sending individual pitches to individual people that you really want to work with as a service provider or as a freelancer. And I was really proud of this framework that I created and I was able to get some really impressive results. Like I have a 100% response rate, which is pretty incredibly unusual for um, the cold pitching space. And the programs that I've created have helped my students see very similar results getting between 75% and 80% response rate on their pitches as well. But the reason that I wanted to talk about sales and especially sustainable sales today is because even as I was getting these really great responses, that was just the conversation starter. There was still plenty of discussion to actually move into that kind of sales cycle. The cold pitch was just a way of opening up the conversation. And I had a lot of hangups around sales. I had a lot of preconceived notions. I had a lot of emotions around what it meant to be in a sales position. And I think as service providers, even as coaches and course creators, we bring a lot of these kind of preconceptions around sales into sales calls and into our messaging and into the experience. And it can often make it really difficult to show up in a way that's aligned with our values. And it can make it really challenging to honor the needs or agency of the person that we really want to work with or the person that we really want to serve. And uh, because there's so much stigma and because there's so much kind of stickiness around this topic, um, it's one that I really love to dissect and open up and talk about alternative ways to approach sales. Yeah. Oh, yes, please. Because how like I'm raising both of my hands here and thinking, I know that there are plenty of times where I probably resisted making sales because I was so afraid of coming across as a ZZ salesperson. Let's not say salesman, salesperson, Um, because it's just something that grosses many of us out. And it's like, oh, but I don't want to perpetuate that unknowingly or knowingly. And so I love that there is an alternative approach that we can take, which is a lot more values-based and human-centered, where we really prioritize agency and consent from the other person who may or may not work with us. So Oh, okay, where do we get started? So first of all, um, who does this apply to and um, what we're about to speak to today? So most of the specific strategies that I talk about and the way that I have positioned, um, like the offers and, and trainings that I do around sustainable sales is for service providers, those who are generally working one-to-one with clients and providing a, uh, a deliverable. And that said, my own experience as a coach, mentor, as somebody selling digital products and and other one-to-many offers, I found a lot of these principles carry over into the uh, one-to-many selling space. It's just a kind of change of the medium and a little bit of a change of the specific strategy, but the principles are really very, very much the same. Awesome. Thank you so much for specifying. So for all of you lovely quiet rebels who are listening, like yes, we're going to be speaking mainly from the context of one-on-one service providers. However, just like we said, there are plenty of applications to a one-to-many setting as well. So just take what you feel resonates and translate the strategies over as needed and just really take what you can from this conversation because I know already it's going to be gold and full of gems to take away. (laughs) Okay, so sales calls. (laughs) that could be like that has been my reaction to them for a long time and I realize now that I think about it I only do sales calls probably around once a year when I launch my sustainable visibility incubator um, because most of my other offers are um, you know via a sales page because they are digital products they are workshops right and so sales calls ah please give us the (laughs) one-on-one so I think that uh, as you mentioned, there's all a bit of a, a kind of fear um, or a hesitation around setting up spaces for us to 
head into sales calls. And so we do things like maybe avoid getting back to that lead that just came into our inbox, spend a lot of time maybe considering other ways of selling like social selling or trying to keep it all in a single email thread where you're pitching your services or outlining a proposal in the, the, the body of an email, for example, because we have this fear of getting on a phone and having a live interaction with someone. And I think that that the reason that we have that fear, the reason that that often feels uncomfortable and squishy is because a lot of us have an association that sales are about a power dynamic and one that is especially unequal. And that power dynamic is that the client or the uh, prospect holds all of the power. They are the one who can give us money. They are the one who can approve and say, yes, let's work on this project. They are the one who's going to determine the fate to some degree of our, our process of building our business. And that makes us incredibly uncomfortable to feel like we are on the low end of that power dynamic, that we don't have agency, that we don't have options, that we don't have um, other pathways to consider. And so we often, go ahead, I see you jumping in. (laughs) I I find that so so fascinating because when you said an unequal power dynamic, I, I thought of it as the complete opposite. Oh, this is so interesting. Like the prospect uh, pre-client um, is actually the one where ha- where they have lack of agency and concern over what's going to be happening. Because um, I have definitely been in situations where I've, when I've been in their shoes where, um, and what I mean by that is like, I've been in a sales conversation where I literally felt like I was being held hostage in, unless I gave over my credit card details and it was very very uncomfortable so as soon as I hear uneven power dynamic that's the first thing that comes to mind so I'm so fascinated that you're talking about the other way around so yeah let's get into it <laughs> yeah so I actually think that what you just described is a response to the fear of being on the other side of that power dynamic so because mm-hmm. we feel like someone else is determining our fate the direction of our business we have found all of these persuasion tactics that help us to seemingly, quote unquote, equalize that power imbalance. But what really happens is that we push it too far. And then as service providers, we're the ones who are creating this sense of uh, a lack of agency for our prospect because we're maybe pressuring them too much or um, creating a space where they don't have room to make a really informed, aligned decision for themselves. Just as you described, feeling like you have to give your credit card details before you can get off the phone. So I think that that's, it's interesting because that balance, I think, goes both ways. And so we kind of come to this question of, well, how do we have these conversations where we don't feel like either one of those stereotypes, the sort of um, the word that's coming to mind is sort of like the meek, lowly, desperate freelancer who's like, please give me anything. Or the alternative extreme end of that is the overbearing, sleazy salesperson who's pressuring someone into something that they don't even want. And so we have this conundrum of, I don't want either of those. I don't want to embody either of those. So what does that middle space even look like? Yes. So please tell us how to get that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I, I want to see, like, what is the neutralizer there? (laughs) Like, you know, to neutralize, like, either of those situations. Because I've been searching for that. Because I know out of the two, um, I've definitely been more on the side where I'm so overly concerned about whether or not the other person feels like they have agency that I probably in a way sabotage my own sales for that consideration and I know that there is a way to work with that consideration without it being detrimental to my sales process so yes please tell us all the things (laughs) well I think it is um a bit of a mix of sort of intention and then your approach as well as the actual execution. So what I mean by intention, it's when you're going into a sales call, is your goal to convert that client? Because if so, you might, as a result, overlook their needs or overlook red flags for yourself or indications that you may not be the best fit for them. But when our intention going into a sales call is to determine mutual fit or to help them solve a specific problem, then we're coming in from a a very different um, space where we can be on the lookout for those red flags um, that indicate this is not a good client for us. Or we can be um, in a space of serving to help them identify 
what solution will actually help solve their problem, including a solution that does not include our services. And I think that space allows for more uh, that, of that kind of human-centeredness in our business because we're not just looking to convert someone into a client. We're really looking to help them and help ourselves. And so there's a little bit more mutual beneficial um, problem solving that's happening. So that's that intention space. And then I think the approach space is how you're showing up to these sales calls. So not from an intentional perspective, but from um, the way that you are hosting or leading or facilitating this conversation. Um, and again, when you're coming from that intentional space of wanting to help them and wanting to determine mutual fit, then you might spend a lot more time listening than trying to pitch. You might spend a lot more time asking questions than you would rattling off your bio. And those things um, like trying to do a pitch or trying to impress someone or trying to um, show your authority, those are the things that make us really nervous and have a second guessing. You know, am I really an expert? Can I do this? Am I going to be good enough? Those are the types of things that can put us on one side of that um, unequal power dynamic. And a lot of the strategies that I see out there like sales scripts, do the opposite of putting us in that um, that opposite power dynamic. But when we're in a space of reflective listening, we're actually doing a better job of building that know, like, and trust factor because we're allowing our prospects and potential clients to feel seen, to feel heard, and to feel valued. And those three core elements are what I associate with building know, like, and trust. When someone is seen, they feel like they are getting to know you. When they feel heard, they begin to like you because that's a space where they're feeling comfortable. And when they feel valued, that's when they know that they're starting to build trust with you. So that approach, um, along with the intention, means that execution actually doesn't feel like a big struggle. It actually feels much more comfortable because you're kind of just showing up to a conversation, seeing if you can help someone, really listening to them. And then at the end of that um, sales call, for example, you can just talk about, you know, here's how I've identified the ways that I can help you, or here's the ways that my service is going to help you solve that problem. And that execution feels a lot more human-centered and a lot more supportive than the kind of sleazy pressuring sales call of like, okay, here's my service. I need your credit card details. We start on Monday, right? It can feel pretty intense <laughs> to be on the receiving end. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. So intention and approach, both so important. And what I'm hearing, like a common thread that connects the two of them is how much weight we are putting on the outcome, like the attachment we have mm -hmm. to the outcome, right? Like what are we looking for outside of that? And so I, there's a, there's a little niggling voice in the back of my brain that I feel like I need to bring forward because a part of me who has been in like, you know, how many of us, we do go through a dry spell every now and then in our businesses. Yes. What if it feels, feels, whether it actually is or not, but what if it feels as if we can't, or feels like, um, how do I put this? Okay, lack of a better term, can't. <laughs> so what yeah. if it feels like we can't afford to be that patient is basically what is it's just like the unfiltered version of that question. Um, like literally, what if we are that that freelancer or that service provider where we feel like we do need clients now to literally just put food on the table? So for those who are listening right now who are like, oh thank goodness, Mickey, thank you so much for asking that. Um, what would you say to, what would you say to us? What would you say to them who might feel that pressure to convert because they need it at that time in their business? Well, I think the first thing is that's 100% valid. Even as we're talking about values and sustainability and ethical ways of, of showing up, a big part of this process is ensuring that our needs are met. Generally speaking, we want to do that in a way that doesn't compromise others or harm other people. And so I can also say, like, I have been in this very same position. Um, part of my story to cold pitching was that I lost all of my clients um, that were not even particularly well-paying clients or fantastic fit projects for me, but I lost all of them at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was in an extreme space of scarcity. 
And I don't mean that as like a mindset perspective. I mean, that was definitely a part of it, but the real recognition of, I don't have a savings net. I don't have any money in my bank account. I am literally using the uh, stimulus check that the government sent out for COVID to pay my rent and giving me 30 days to try and find clients to refill my bank account because I have bills to pay. So it's a 100% valid space to be in. And I think it's important that anyone who is maybe shaming you for being in that space or for using strategies that they may not be using is probably someone to hit pause on listening to you for a bit and and kind of take an oxygen mask for yourself. Mm. Now, with that in mind, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I just want to say thank you for speaking to not not just saying that it's valid, but how you've personally experienced that as well because well I can't even begin to imagine what that felt like almost to have like a 30-day deadline to make things work or else basically otherwise um you could have very literally have um lost the roof over your head um you know paying rent for the place that you were staying in at the time right so just want to say thank you and I'm so glad that um you have learned the skill to kind of not prevent it completely because we never know, right? Yes. <laughs> but to help reduce the possibility of that happening again. Uh, like the skill that you're speaking of is something that can be very, very helpful during those very dry spells. But yes, so I know we got a lot to cover, like especially I'm so I'm so intrigued by what you're going to say about sales script. But um, before <laughs> we do sh- uh, switch gears, um, was there anything else that you want to say about this? I think the the really key piece here is that if you are in this position or find yourself veering into this space to identify for yourself what those values are and those kind of hard boundaries in terms of your ethics, your values and principles to determine what those lines are for you. So for in my example, for my case, um, when I was in that position and when I've been in that position in the past, my hard line or my boundary was I am willing to take on clients that are not a good fit for me. I am willing to take on clients that are going to annoy me, who are going to badger me, who are going to be indecisive to make it difficult to deliver because I do genuinely need that money. What I'm not willing to do is to convince someone to hire me for something they don't need. What I'm not willing to do is to push someone into a larger project or a bigger scope, even though I don't see how it would be valuable or beneficial to them. I I want to believe that the work that I'm doing is valuable to them and that it will make a measurable impact in their business. So that was the kind of hard line that I drew of like, I'm willing to take a bit of a hit on like great fitting clients, but I'm not willing to harm someone or someone else's business because maybe they're in a really similar position to I am and they're looking for my project to help them get over um, a particular a goal or to get out from red and into black. And I don't want to put anyone into a position where they can't get out of. So it's just a matter of kind of identifying what are your values? What are your ethics? What are your principles? And where are those lines that you can draw for that temporary um, kind of time that you're in that space? Yeah, thank you so much for speaking to that because um, it's it's kind of like the three E's that that we um, talked about before is the essentials enhancements and embellishments so if we associate that with our values like which which values are essential for us to hold dear and to honor at all times no matter what which uh, values can you know enhance our experience of the work that we do and what are nice to have seems like it's kind of like like oh yeah I'd love to get that designer handbag but I don't need it (laughs) it'd be nice to have (laughs) so it's applying that sort of um is applying that to our value. So thank you for sharing your examples as well. <sighs> okay, so I want to switch gears because, yeah. <laughs> because again, just like, as soon as you said it, I've been looking forward to this like all cool, all of this cool so far. So sales scripts to have or not to have or when to have rather. So tell us. <laughs> so my opinion is that there is a specific type of sales script that is good to have, and the rest of sales scripts are probably not so good to have. And the specific type is one that you write yourself, one that is based on you, your services, and your audience. But when we swipe sales scripts from other people, we're taking a, a very templated approach to having a conversation that is meant to be very personalized because we're having these one-on-one client experiences. We're having these 
um, uh, sales conversations with usually just one person or just a, a, a team of decision makers. And the point is, um, actually, yeah, let's talk about the point of a sales call. What are we even doing <laughs> right? with our new sales cycles? And I'm going to go back to, we want to show that they are seen. We want to show that they're heard and we want to show that they're valued. And then we have all of the relevant information to explain how we can help them and um, what our approach is, what that solution is to solving their problem. And so going back to sales scripts, so much of a sales script is about what we're saying. It's about how we show our authority or expertise or uh, uh, contradict or respond to objections. And uh, well, that's a whole other topic that we can get into. <laughs> <I'll go>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really what needs to happen and what's so valuable about having a sales call is listening, is hearing them to really um, empathize with the problem that they're having and make sure that you understand it so that when you do respond, uh, it's, it's mostly responding back to what they've said, reflecting back what they've said to show that you understand and then making a recommendation on how to solve that problem. So I often tell, um, uh, I have a, a program called Sustainable Sales Accelerator, which is essentially building out your sales system. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is how, you know, like 80% of our sales call is us just listening. It's not us talking. It's not us pitching. It's not us proving anything. It is us listening. And those are the calls that are actually more likely to convert into a client. Mm. Oh, as soon as you said the kind of sales script to kind of like keep nearby would be one to write yourself. The immediately, like I, I feel like my little um, my little cynic voice is like really coming out to play <laughs> this conversation. That <laughs> it tells you a lot, does it not? Um, the first thing that came to mind, but the reason why we don't have our own scripts because we don't know what to put in it. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> but you've already started to share like the kind of things that we can put in there, the things that help our pre-clients or prospects to feel seen, heard and valued. Absolutely. And in integrating, uh, integrating those moments of reflection where we reflect back to what they've said, just so that we that they can see for themselves that, yes, I've heard what you said. And here is like my response to that and all of that. And um, I'll jump in if, yes, if that's do. okay. Please, please. I think there's a lot of, and I've, again, I've been in this position. That's where I was on these sales calls after setting up pitches and being like, I have no idea what to say. I don't know how to lead this conversation. I don't know how to be the person that I showed up as in this email that I sent to start this conversation. So when we sit down to write our own sales script, we're just like, I don't know what to say. That's why I'm looking for someone else's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but what's really interesting that I've noticed is that when people get on these and into these um, sales calls, or even if they're just doing informational interviews with folks in their industry, and they're just asking questions about like, tell me about your business. Who's your audience? What are the types of things that you're looking to do? You know, what's, what's really challenging you right now? As we listen and we're trying to understand, we naturally start to respond to that. We say, oh, maybe we could do, you know, a, a strategy with uh, your content, or maybe it's time to um, update your website, or maybe it's time to um, actually create brands, uh, brand guidelines. We, we naturally start to respond to the information that we're hearing because we're already doing things like leveling up our skills and um, practicing uh, our, our way of thinking through these types of problems. So we're just not spontaneously generating these ideas, which is why I find it incredibly helpful to ask permission and get consent to record my conversations with prospects, mm -hmm. informational ones. If you're interviewing your peers in the industry or um, potential referral partners, ask if they're okay with you recording that conversation so you can revisit and start to note down, you know, a lot of people are having this type of challenge and they explain it in these ways. If I start to reflect that back in my sales calls, that's going to show that I understand because I've done this research and I've done this work. And now I have the beginning of my sales script. Mm, okay. So question for those who haven't yet done that research prior, where would you invite them to start? 
it's like well it's great if you have research to inform your sales scripts but what if I don't have that so again honestly where is this little cynic make coming from <laughs> this little baby version of me like hang on a second what about this and literally how I'm hearing her voice right now it's like excuse me right now <laughs> so well um is there anything that you'd say to little cynic make that just is very present in today's call for, for some reason <laughs> so I would say it's really hard to find a solid substitute for that information as in the copywriting world, we call that voice of customer. And that's mm-hmm. really what we want to collect. And if you're not in a position to be booking lots of sales calls or having informational interviews, um, you can just start by scouring the internet in the communities and groups that you're involved in. How are people talking about these things? Um, if you go on different social media sites, see how people are describing their, their wins and challenges. A place that I love looking at is the testimonials of people who are in similar fields to me because people are describing that before and after state. So you can get a good mm. sense of here's what they're t- struggling with and here's what they want. Great. Now I have a better sense of what they're looking for. Oh, that's such a good tip. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, yes, I remember back in the days when I was a copywriter, when um, if you don't have customer interviews to look to, to help inform the copy that you write, then uh, we do look into reviews and testimonials because it does, again, reflect some of the language, uh, what people were originally searching for and what they actually got after buying a product or trying out a different service. So so, so good. So, so good. Review mining is gold. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. Okay, so is there anything else on the sales scripts that you wanted to mention before we start shifting gears into to helping us avoid embodying that sleazy salesperson? <laughs> and there's a very specific clip from a TV show that both of us <laughs> love watching that we're so going to go into. But before then, is there anything else that you want to say on sales scripts? I think the last thing I'll say, and you can let me know if you want to touch on this later, is a lot of sales scripts tend to focus on how to address objections. Mm, And I have a lot of thoughts on that. So we can do that now or later. Let me know. Let's do that now because I feel, because as soon as you mentioned sales script at all, my first thought was back when I first obtained one, when I worked with a mentor for the first time. And I remember thinking, oh, this is so reassuring because this is what they say, this is what I say. And like, this seems to work, this seems to convert. But back at back at the time, it was probably like, what, 2016, I think it was. Oh, wow, that was quite a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, 2016. Um, and I only paid attention to whether it worked and not how it worked. You know, and this is like, this is where we get into the nuances of the, which things are in alignment with our values or not these days, right? Because, you know, our values can shift over time. But anyhow, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I always found such, uh, it felt so, ugh, like, just to kind of even say this out loud, by the way, when someone has an objection to call it out as an excuse. And I always thought that was so dismissive. And I thought to myself, what if it's not an excuse? Maybe it's an excuse to us because when what we're making it mean about ourselves when someone is giving us an objection is that we're not good enough, something like that, and therefore we fight back right? and by calling it out as an excuse. But these days, when people say it's an excuse, I say that, no, I think that's an explanation based on where they're at. Like I'm not there to persuade people out of whatever situation they're in because that's where they're making their decision from anyway. But anyhow, I can... I mean, this is going to be a soapbox for us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So tell us your thoughts around um, the objection, uh, the handling objections part that seems to be a common theme on many of the sales scripts out there that are templated. Yes. Well, and I think you really kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit here that a lot of what we have traditionally thought of um, when it comes to responding to objections is handling them. Even that language Mm. is very just like, we need to eliminate this objection. We need Mm. to, and and part of the response in sales scripts is often dismissing them, calling them out as excuses, saying it's a mindset issue. That one really irks me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so when we get this copy pasted um, template or sales script to use in our calls, it means that we have um, language to follow where we can essentially start a calm argument to sort of talk someone out of that objection. 
were trying to explain how it's wrong or they misunderstood or um, actually it's different for this reason. That's why we have this feeling of being dismissed. But if we go back to intention, approach, and execution, we're trying to make our prospects feel seen. We're trying to make them feel heard. We're trying to make them feel valued, which means that if we are dismissing their objections or trying to obliterate them so that they logically seem have like nothing to grab onto as to why they don't feel ready to move forward, they're going to feel that pressure to convert even when they don't want to, which has a lot of implications for the client relationship down the line. And we can talk about that in a bit too. Um, Oh, you just painted such a visual just now. You said nothing to grab onto. And I immediately thought of being lured into a hole and then suddenly the, the, the rope ladder was just being raised where I can't reach it anymore. Oh gosh, that, that visual. Right. And that's pretty dark. Yeah, absolutely. For, for as we're listening, as we're talking about this, like, you can zoom out and be like, "Whoa, this is just a sales call. Like, calm down. Like, this is not <laughs> a big deal." But like, we're bringing our emotions into it. We're very like, these are problems that we're having, and we're we're talking to someone, being like, "Is this something that you can help me with?" So you're, you're coming with this appeal for help, and then to feel like you're like lured down this dark hallway, mm-hmm. and then you have nothing to grab onto. Like that feels very scary. It kind of tr- probably triggers our fight and flight, uh, fawn and freeze it. There's so many, I'm trying to keep track of. Um, (laughs) But, um, and that's one of the reasons we've gone down a bit of a a long pathway here, but that's one of the reasons that having just a rote script to repeat in response to specific objections may not actually be effective, let alone ethical in terms of how you're showing up in that sales call. So the approach that I like to take is one, I want to just listen to what they've said. So if they, for example, the most common one is generally a pricing objection of like, ooh, I don't know, that's a bit too much um, to spend or it's a bit out of my budget or I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with that amount. And one of the number one things that I do is I will be silent. I will just give someone a moment or two to process that information so that they can have whatever emotional reaction that they might have and then decide if they have questions for me. So if they say, oh, I don't know, that's a bit too expensive. And I jump in to be like, oh, no, no, but it's a really great value because of X, Y, Z, that I haven't given them any time to process. And that is probably what makes them feel like that is being dismissed and they're being pressured to convert. But if they say, oh, I don't know, that's a bit expensive. And then I give them a moment to breathe in that and they kind of think and process, they might come back with, I don't know, could we do a payment plan? And I might be like, yes, absolutely. Let's do a payment plan. And then suddenly we have found a solution and we're ready to continue moving forward. Or maybe they ask questions about, you know, the deliverables or the value of it or my credentials, but it really gives them space to let me know what they're really worried about, what they're mostly concerned about. And they're going to ask that as a question. And then I have a chance to respond. Mm. Oh, I feel like this could be like a quotable for this episode. Solutions are in the silence. Oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like, I know that we, I just like ticked our need for alliteration. <laughs> yes, of course. 100%. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's such a good um, way to just really not feel the need to fill up the space, you know, and that can... Because silence can often feel so awkward for us. It's like, oh, no, Mm -hmm. like silence is a bad thing. But no, it can actually be such an intentional state to be in to allow for the person on the other side to have those extra moments of deep introspection and to see like, hmm, yes, I may not have the money completely, but what can I do with that? And it's the same with the objection that comes with time. Like time and money are like the two most common um, objections that we see um, out in like any yeah. form of sales conversation but those are things that are outside of our control we we don't get to determine how much money they have in their bank account or how much access to credit they have um, we also don't have any control over how they spend their time that's going to be their choice but what we can do is at least hold that space for them to help them decide what they could do with what they have 
Exactly. And I think you just answered the, the kind of flip side of that is what if they're not asking you questions? What if I give them that silence and it just sort of hangs there and they've only made a statement and that's our cue to ask questions. So if they say, Oh, I don't know, that's a bit expensive. And then we sit and they silence and they don't respond. And I've given them a beat. Then I can say, what did you budget for this type of project? And I can open up that conversation and see if they're willing to engage in it with me. Mm. Yes. Okay. So if they ask questions, then maybe that's a bit more of our cue to um, have more silence there. Like just, just to give them a, a minute, a beat, as you said. Um, but if they just left with a statement and they don't seem to be carrying on with that, then maybe that is our cue to ask for questions. Yes. Mostly because I've, I've found that when someone has made a statement and I've given them some time to process and they don't go anywhere with it, it's because maybe they don't know where to go. They're, they're maybe just blanked out of like, I can't think of any solutions. I don't, I don't know how to make this work. I don't know what I want to do. So by asking questions that are open-ended rather than like, so do you want to move forward, which is a <laughs> close-ended question, um, I'm giving them space to kind of explore that. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I guess I hadn't really thought about my budget. And then, we could, then we can talk about that more and we can kind of work together collaboratively to figure out a solution. And if we can do that, that's going to be a great indication of how it's going to be working together on this client project, that we can be collaborative, creative, and come up with solutions together. Mm. So little little mini make like little mini cynic make is coming back out again and she's asking like, I'm not used to that (laughs) so what what she's trying to say is okay so it's one thing to uh, ask these questions when you're used to being in response but what if it's your first time running a sales call without a script and you're just trying this out um and like is there anything that we can lean on or is there any patterns that we should look for in ourselves or and I say should very sparingly yeah. Um, yes. you, you know me I don't like I don't like that name. um I don't like that word <laughs> but yeah for those who are probably trying this out for the first time and just kind of letting if you think of if you're going into an ice skating rink it's kind of like letting go of the sides for the first time to actually like skate mm. on the pure ice with no there's no little penguin to hold on to for um because um the ice skating rinks not a real penguin I mean <laughs> the ice skating rinks that I go to like to help kids ice skate or adults I was just very nervous and um, there yes. are these little penguins that they have little handles on them that you can kind of skate with it but yeah for those of us who don't have those penguins or the size to cling on to and we're actually just free skating for the first time or in this case in the context of sales calls, actually just trying this out without bounds in that mm. sense. What would you advise there? Well, I think that aside from tr- testing out things like, um, I think you call it solutions in the silence. I call it the power of pause. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to bring in that uh, alliteration. Um, I think there are a few things we can do to help us go into a call in a specific frame of mind so that we don't um, end up kind of running away with fears or anxieties that will make it difficult to be present because I think being present in the conversation is what really helps us to be comfortable being silent for ourselves for a moment and then that gives us time to maybe process and decide oh I want to ask an open-ended question here mm-hmm. um, so there are a couple of things that we can do there, but I think the most helpful thing, if you haven't done this before and you're nervous about doing it with a potential client where there feels like there's something on the line there, um, is to not practice with a potential client. Practice with a peer. Practice with a friend. Do a sort of mock sales call to kind of build out the loose framework of your potential sales script and your, your um, kind of how you want to frame the call, the types of questions you plan to ask and the um, ways that you want to respond when certain types of objections maybe do come up. And then you get to practice in a trusted space with a friend or a peer who knows you and who's not going to judge or shame you for getting it wrong. And then you can decide, oh, I really liked the way I handled that. That worked well. Or "Mm, that didn't quite feel right. I want to try it this way instead. So you give yourself some safe space to practice, which I think can be really helpful to have some trial and error in an arena that doesn't um, 
have that same kind of weight um, or the same high stakes that maybe a client call would. Mm, yeah, that's really great advice. I literally, um, inside of our SVI program, uh, something that you that you're probably familiar with, and there's a <laughs> there's a time in the program where all of you get the opportunity should you want to take it and um, to do a mock workshop or a mock interview so that when you're practicing talking about your topics for the first time or um, you're doing a new spin on it that you haven't done before um, you get to practice in a room where you have your peers with you so that way you you do get to just try it out but not be so worried about getting it quote-unquote wrong and like it's a space for feedback and warmth and we just want to help you um, to do like what you feel is best that sort of thing so I feel that that's pretty much what you're saying in terms of the sales calls so if we are trying something new for the first time and we don't feel entirely comfortable doing it on a on a potential client um to actually do it with someone who we trust and who will have our best interest at heart to give us some constructive but welcomed feedback yes yes awesome stuff okay so something that you and I also bond over is friends and we mean the tv show (laughs) (laughs) because when you said sleazy salesperson the first person I thought of um so I don't remember the specific episode I'm just going to remember a particular scene in the episode so one of the characters Joey Tribbiani for those of you who do not watch friends um basically there's this character who is an actor and because of his line of work he sometimes has like spurts of time where he is like on set but a lot of the time he's at home when a lot of his friends are out for their nine to fives for example so he's at home one day and then someone knocks on the door and then literally just as he opens the door the person literally like steps in to the apartment (laughs) and is literally starting off a sales conversation that joey didn't like he didn't anticipate clearly and then he spends so long with joey trying to persuade him to buy a set of encyclopedias and um you, you, you chime in here as well, Brie. Like, you, you know how this goes. <laughs> what else happened in this particular scene? <laughs> well, I think this is actually a really great example of, in this case, Joey, providing lots of reasons, valid objections to buying an, an entire set of encyclopedias. And uh, spoiler, at the end of the scene, the sort of final objection is, oh, well, you know, I don't have enough money for an entire set. So, you know, I, you know, I can't buy. And the salesperson's response is, oh, you don't have to buy the whole set. You can buy this one, the one that we've been looking at. So for the letter V, I think it was, you can buy this one for the amount of money that you have now. And this sort of, and Joey at this point is like, well, I don't have any other reasons not to buy. I can't think of anything else to respond with a no. So he buys the encyclopedia. And I think it's a great example of all of the tactics that can be used to put the seller in that um, state of power, in that power imbalance that we talked about. Um, And in that example, or when you watch the scene, I remember watching it much younger and thinking this was a, a great experience for everyone. Everyone seemed to leave happy. Everyone seemed to be good. But the next scene is Joey with the rest of the friends. And um, he's feeling a bit um, out of the loop with their topic. So he brings up one of the things that he's just read in his encyclopedia for the letter V. He brings up all of these V words. And the conver- everyone joins in and he feels really great. But then the conversation veers off to another topic that isn't be related. <laughs> and then he has that same feeling of left out. So the problem in the original scene with the salesperson selling this encyclopedia, the problem that the salesperson was kind of calling out is, you know, people are talking and you feel left out. This is going to make you feel smart and feel like you can be involved in the conversation. And then he he didn't listen to Joey's objections. He sold him something anyway, and Joey didn't have his problem solved. So he left, he spent the money, he didn't get the experience that he wanted, and he was disappointed as a result. Mm-hmm. And if we apply that to how we have sales conversations and sales cycles with our, our clients, can you imagine going through a sales experience that feels a little bit uncomfortable, but then you think, okay, well, at least I got my problem solved, only to be like, very unhappy with that experience or or um, very uncomfortable with the result, would you have felt like you have enough trust built to go back to that person and give feedback? Do you feel like you would have enough um, 
like relatability with that person to explain what feels uncomfortable and why, or would you probably more likely think that that person's just going to run through why those objections are not valid either. Oh gosh, just that experience of um, not needing something, but for a moment you believe that you needed it and then just having just falling on your ass <laughs> basically it's like oh actually this is so not what I intended and oh it's just like a negative experience all around so oh bless Joey <laughs> in yes. that scene and bless all of the people who have probably had an experience like this as well like I can totally raise my hand it's definitely the one where I felt like I was being held hostage and I thought to myself hey well at least I'm going to get what I originally intended before I felt like this but actually that experience colored my entire experience being in a in a certain program and I didn't even want to get results by following their advice and it was just mm, no so yes exactly I think it's important to kind of call out how the entire experience is colored so I had a friend who had that same sort of experience but in a one-to-one client and services deliverable where they went into that conversation being like, I don't know if I really need this. And the person convinced them, no, you definitely do, et cetera, et cetera. And they eventually converted, did the project, got the result, were very unhappy with it. And instead of being in a space where they could collaborate of like, well, let's figure out another solution, or maybe we need to approach it in a different way. There was already enough erosion of that relationship Mm -hmm. that was fledgling and, and small and just beginning already that it, it really kind of ended with like refund requests and chargebacks and, and all of those negative um, unhappy results that we are hoping to avoid when we're trying to provide a service to a client. But I want to say that the flip side of that is that when we give space for objections, when we allow for silence, when we focus on listening and just seeing, hearing, and valuing the person in the conversation with us, that also means that we're building a really strong foundation of practical and emotional trust so that as we go through the experience of working with them and continue to follow through on our promises and give them the deliverables that they're asking for, the transformation that we've promised them, they're far more likely to provide us with amazing testimonials, to refer us to their friends and peers, and to come back to us for repeat projects. And that's really what we're looking for to build a sustainable business. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. All to that. So thank you so much for speaking to this. And it's very clear that um, we've covered so much ground, but I feel like we haven't even got to the tip of the iceberg. I know. (laughs) I'm like, this might need a part two. (laughs) So because we covered a lot of ground, it may be, and many of our quiet rebels who are listening right now might be thinking, okay, but where do I start? So where would you advise us to kind of probably look into our sales processes to kind of like see, like almost do like a little audit um, to see like what might we want to kind of like move around or shift in our process? By that, do you mean like our, how we're showing up at our sales systems? Um, I just mean in general, like, you know, where can we start after this episode is basically what I'm asking. <laughs> Okay. Well, I think if you're, so if you're listening and you're thinking, yes, that's what I want to move more towards. And yes, I want to try and um, make that happen. I just don't know what to do or where to start. Um, I would recommend one of two things. Uh, The first would be to maybe take some notes from kind of what really resonated with you and just sort of jot down some of the things that you're interested in trying out. Maybe the examples that we talked over or the opposite of those not so lovely examples that we talked about (laughs) and call up a friend or, or a business buddy that you can kind of trial them out with in that safe kind of mock sales call space. And the second thing that you can do is Start to create a framework for yourself to um, kind of give yourself some direction almost of how you're going to run your sales calls. And I'm talking about sales calls because that's generally for most service providers, the bulk of the sales experience or the sales cycle. It's absolutely not all of it, but so much of the principles in a framework can blend out to kind of either side of maybe a proposal or the back and forth qualification process and so on. Um, But building that framework of 
How are you going to show up to the call? What's going to happen for the first five minutes? What's going to happen at the end of the call? What are the types of questions that you're going to ask? And if you're still like, Brie, that's the thing that I'm asking you for. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, then this is where I would, I would do a, you know, a bit of a plug to say I have a, uh, it's a digital product called Sales Call Masterclass that walks you through exactly how to do this and provides examples of things like reflective questions and open-ended questions that you can ask and uh, examples of those in action and how it's worked. So you can see uh, literally from my sales calls, what a client has said and what I responded with, and then what I was able to do with that information. So you can start to see how these pieces kind of plug and play together. Oh, can I just say that was so smooth? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, like if you hadn't said the word plug, like I would not have realized that, but I thought to myself, wow, like that, mm, that a bit smooth. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing like where we can get started and of course where we can learn more. So where else can we find you? So give us all the links, like for those who are like, okay, I need Brie in my life because I was not aware of her at all until this interview today. Um, yes. Tell us all the links. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you can find my website at coldpitchcopy.com. Um, if you really want to kind of hang out and chat, my inbox is where that happens. So um, you can sign up to my list. And uh, just know that if you reply to any of my emails, I reply to you. I'm the person in my inbox. I read and respond to all of my emails. And those one-on-one conversations are the ones that I really love having. And um, so please hit reply and let's chat. Um, If you're more of a social media type person, then you can find me on Instagram at uh, my handle is the Brie Weber. Okay, cool. And did you share the link for your masterclass? Because I don't think you did. Uh, I didn't, but we can drop it in the okay, show yeah, notes. We'll or... drop it all in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> I, I will say for anyone who's like, yeah, I don't know, maybe I want to, um, I will create a special uh, version of the masterclass or rather a special link of the, the masterclass um, with a discount. Um, so you'll find it at a, a make a specific um, place so that you can check it out and get a sense of um, how to create that framework for yourself. Thank you. Really appreciate it. It's not quite rebels. We have our own special link. We, yeah. we are so special. <laughs> Thank you. So, so appreciate that. So I've got two final questions for you and then we're going to wrap up for the day. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Number one, what makes you a quiet rebel? I love this question. So I think it is a mix because I definitely identify with the label quiet rebel because I have that more introverted and highly sensitive side of myself. And so a lot of what's going on is maybe a little bit more beneath the surface, except when I get really fiery about things like sales. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's that quiet space, but I also think that my approach to, I guess, life and business in general Um, tends to start out following what other people are doing, decide that doesn't work for me. And then I find myself going against the grain or going against the status quo. And I think that that's a really big theme of being a quiet rebel. I'm not necessarily shouting about it. I'm not asking everyone to follow me. Um, It's not necessarily even a very public thing. It's just me kind of finding these small, almost silent ways of bucking the status quo figuring out my own way of doing things and then being really happy with that pathway. So that's what being a quiet rebel kind of feels like to me. I love that. And the beauty of this is you can be a quiet rebel to being a quiet rebel <laughs> because there's no set <laughs> there's no set standard. I just feel that it's there is a thread of um, our approach to things that seems to be very similar. And mm. for those of you who don't know this, um, well, earlier when I first introduced you, Vri, uh, I spoke about how, oh, you know, when you meet someone for the first time, you know, you're going to be like really close. <laughs> so if you, if you all don't, um, didn't pick up on it, uh, the parallels that Brian and I have had <laughs> and do have in our businesses is, uh, it honestly blows my mind a lot of the time. So her thing is co- like cold pitching. M- mine is pitching podcasts and it's the the approach from when like you don't necessarily know them but you take an extremely personalized approach and the conversion rate is much higher I don't have a hundred percent response rate but I have a 33 percent booking rate which is pretty good <laughs> <laughs> anyhow and then you have sustainable sales and I'm sustainable visibility so like hand in hand I feel like with the ultimate ladder of progression 
we're gonna have to start like (laughs) aligning the next offers that we create together (laughs) yeah I think so and actually a little mini plug before we ask uh, the last question a little mini plug um that we're not going to announce until later on in 2022 but you listening to this podcast right now you're probably going to be the first to know Rhea and I are actually in collaboration to do a limited series podcast together. So these these overlapping layers and this these parallels that we have, they are going to come to a point where we are going to be collaborating. So that's super exciting. But more on that later. Yes. <laughs> if you like listening to our voices together, you can have more of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be plenty more. We're already thinking of a season two, even though we haven't released season one yet. So <laughs> anyhow. Um, I, I totally like went off a tangent but anyway final question what is one weird fact or a fun story about you that no one else knows on the internet so I've been thinking about this but a fun story that I don't think I've shared on the internet but I have a lot of these sort of traveling misadventures and this took place when um, I used to live in the UK in London and I was <gasps> still sort of new and finding my way around um so I don't remember exactly where I was traveling, but I was hopping on a train and going um, somewhere countryside-esque. And um, we were pulling through a couple of regional um, train stations and the ticket checker, clicker person, I don't know the right <laughs> name, att- train attendant. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, okay, let's just go with that. <laughs> Um, was coming through and checking everyone's ticket and I handed mine over and he immediately says like you're on the wrong train (laughs) and I was I was honestly not super phased because it was definitely not the first time that that had happened to me traveling around Europe um the U.S. does not have many trains and so it was still a learning experience for me and I was like oh okay like what do I do do I get off at the next stop and I was essentially just going like north instead of south, and he just be going the other way. Um, and he he listened to my voice and said, "Are you Canadian?" And I said, "No, I'm American." And he said, "Oh, that makes sense." And then everyone laughed, <laughs> and in like a in like a sweet way. I like I didn't feel like they were laughing at me; they were just laughing at his joke. Um, and so I said, "Uh." okay, so like, so what do I do? And he essentially kind of said, you know, we're going to give you this one for free. I didn't have to like buy a new ticket or anything. He's like, we're going to help you out. And he like guided me off the train so I could get on the next one going back the other way. And it was a really endearing experience. It just sort of reinforced even like traveling as an American, there are a lot of stereotypes and I sometimes (laughs) embody them. Um, But it just sort of reminds me of the sort of kindness and generosity of strangers. And that's the thing that I love the most about visiting new places and exploring in um, other parts of the world that I haven't called my home. And so that's one of my favorite travel misadventures because it could have gone in so many different directions, but it went to a really lovely one. Oh, that is so, so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yes, yay, the generous generosity of Brits. Woohoo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I honestly didn't know that stereotype of Americans, by the way, because, um, yeah, uh, well, actually, no, I've never taken a train when I've been in America. Hmm. <laughs> yes, we sadly do not have the train system that I want us to have, but fingers crossed that will change. <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed indeed. And actually, um, just to kind of um, mirror the sweetness that I've also witnessed on my travels in the UK. Um, so this is purely in the London underground where it's very stuffy. Everyone's normally rushing to get a to get out of the underground because it's a very we don't have aircon. We our newer trains now have aircon, but I remember seeing someone who had crutches and was really struggling to get up the stairwell because that's actually not always accessibility points with yeah. um with lifts in every single tube station and I saw the look on his face and that he he knew that he was going to struggle getting up the stairs because everyone else was rushing and when my partner and I were about to step in and help there were two strangers who said to him like hey um if you're okay with it would you be all right if I gave you a piggyback um and his friend um was carrying the crutches and the look of sheer joy on this man's face when he was being lifted up it was just Oh, it just tears me up because it was so sweet to see it. And um, everyone who was just like witnessing the scene, we were just so, oh, it was such an endearing moment. So 
yeah like some strangers can really surprise you (laughs) I love moments like that where you're deciding I don't know do I step in do I help and then you think okay I'm going to step in and just as you move forward someone else has done that same (laughs) thing they were just they just made that decision a little bit faster um so I tend to think um that's probably what's going on for most people they're thinking should I help and then somebody else has just jumped in right there yeah So we have wonderful travel stories in the UK. Yes, (laughs) that can be our third podcast. (laughs) Yes, our third podcast. There we go. (laughs) Plenty of things to collaborate for. But Brie, I just want to say thank you so, so much for showing up with our Quiet Rebels today for all of your wonderful knowledge, your lived experience and your expertise around sustainable sales and really getting into clearly something that activates little mini cynic make that has never ever come out in the history of the hundred plus episodes of the quiet rebels podcast by the way she's never come out like this so clearly there's something about this conversation that just kind of like draws her out of me (laughs) yes I feel honored thank you (laughs) and thank you also for for just giving me a platform to speak about some of these topics that are very near to my heart that I feel very passionate about and I appreciate the soapbox Oh, absolutely. Please take all the soapbox moments, all you like. <laughs> all right. So thank you so, so much one again. And for you lovely quiet, re- re- quiet rebels. Sorry, I just ha- can't English today. <laughs> for all of you lovely quiet rebels who are listening again, for all the links that were mentioned in today's episode, you can find them in the show notes. So where to get Bree's special re- quiet rebels offer for her sales call masterclass and where to connect with her and, um, speak with her on Instagram and in her inbox because she is very much the one who responds to all of her emails. I know because I'm on the receiving end of a lot of these messages too. But yes, thank you so much, Brie. Thanks. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode of the Quiet Rebels podcast today. For any links that have been mentioned in the episode, you can absolutely find them in the show notes below. And two final things before we wrap up for today. Number one, if you do like the vibe and you're pretty new here and you're thinking, hmm, actually might want to stick around to see what else comes up here then i totally invite you to hit the subscribe button and number two if you'd like to invite your friends and to help me spread the word to other quiet rebels out there who have yet to find our incredible community then it would really help if you would leave us a review so whichever app you're listening to this episode on all you'd need to do is scroll to the bottom and there will be an option to write a review any words will be incredibly appreciated so thank you so much in advance if you decide to do that that's everything for today so thank you again for joining us and i hope that you join us next time so until then bye for now